Hey, my name is PJ Nolan. I'm the lead pastor of Collective Church. We are a community of real people in Saline County, Arkansas, seeking to know God and to make Him known. We hope as you visit our podcast that you will find the messages inspiring, practical, but most importantly, biblical. Nehemiah chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. Chapter 2, and we'll begin in verse 1 here in just a few moments. If you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. You can follow along with us on the screens. Um, I have a, in storage, I have a container uh, full of old journals. It's a storage container full of old journals and about 16 years worth of sermon notes. Uh, these journals are filled with ideas, uh, filled with observations of scriptures that I've made over the years. They're filled with prayers, to-do lists. Uh, they are filled with quotes that I've heard from authors and preachers and pastors. They're filled with confessions, uh, raw confessions from me to the Lord that I have written in them. They're filled with life goals. And I've purposefully kept these journals Because one day, hopefully in the distant future, when the Lord decides to call me home to heaven, I want my kids to have these journals. I want them to be able to open up these journals one day and see and get a glimpse of their dad's faith. I want them to be able to read about my struggles. Now, if they were to read about them now, that kind of makes me cringe. But if they're able to read about them one day when I'm gone to heaven, I'm okay with that. I want them to be able to read the goals that I had. I want them to be able to one day see their dad's handwriting on the old coffee-stained pages of these journals and the sermon notes that their dad took. I want them to be able to see that, oh, dad didn't just tell people to take sermon notes. He took sermon notes as well. You know, it's not often that you and I get to glimpse into someone else's personal journal, is it? If you do that often, that's kind of weird, all right? Stay out of people's journals, okay? But that's sort of what we're doing in our current message series, titled Nehemiah, an ordinary man, extraordinary prayer. It's been said that because the book of Nehemiah is written in the first person, It might just be Nehemiah's personal journal. And throughout this journal, we are given a very real look into the life of an ordinary man, an ordinary human being, just like you and I, but with an extraordinary prayer life. The story begins in Nehemiah chapter 1. And in Nehemiah chapter 1, we read there last week, but in Nehemiah 1, Nehemiah is talking with his brother, Hanani. And Hanani brings along with him some of their friends. And they sit down, they begin to have a visit, and Nehemiah asks them, how are things going back home? How are things in Jerusalem? And Hanani and his friends reported to Nehemiah, that the walls and the gates of their hometown Jerusalem were broken down and burned with fire. Now, walls don't mean as much to some 
in present day. But in Nehemiah's time, walls were as essential to them as you and I would consider electricity or running water today. Uh, Back then, walls shielded people from enemy invasions, and they also represented and symbolized and said to others that we have strength and we have peace here. And so Nehemiah, being a hometown boy, being from Jerusalem and hearing the condition of his hometown and hearing what his friends and family members were having to live among and the condition that they were in, the Bible tells us that Nehemiah was heartbroken by the news that he had heard about his people and about his hometown. When Nehemiah heard the news about his people and his town, the Bible tells us in Nehemiah 1 and verse 2 that Nehemiah sat down and he wept and he mourned and he fasted and he prayed. And I love what the Bible tells us for some days. He mourned, he fasted, he wept, and he prayed for some days. And when we read his prayer in verses about 4, 5 through 11, we see that Nehemiah, when he went before the Lord, he poured out his heart to him. He poured out his heart to God. And so we learned last week about in order to cultivate an extraordinary prayer life, there are times where we just need to pour out our heart to God. And that our Father in heaven, he's okay. And in fact, he desires you and I to pour out our hearts to him. You know, it's interesting to me in Nehemiah chapter 1. When Nehemiah got this bad news, he got broken. He was bummed. He was down and out. He was probably a little bit angry about the condition of his hometown and the condition of his people. But he didn't get broken and bitter. He got broken and he prayed. Catch that. His, his brokenness didn't drive him to scrutinize and rant on social media about all the problems in his life and all the problems in his family and all the problems in the world. Uh-uh, uh-uh. He prayed. He got broken and he prayed and he brought his concerns to the Lord and he poured out his heart to him. And when he did, he praised him He confessed to him. He presented his requests to God two different times. And he reminded the Lord of the Lord's promises. Towards the end of that prayer, Nehemiah writes in his journal telling us that he was cupbearer to the king. He was cupbearer to the king. And he asked God to give him favor in front of the king. So by the end of his pouring his heart out to God, we see that Nehemiah has now received divine direction from the Lord on what was next, which was to go and talk to the king about what God had put on his heart and the mission and the assignment that God had given him. And so that's where we pick up today in Nehemiah chapter 2. Let's begin in verse 1. And as we go through here, I'm going to make some comments about some things, and then we're going to draw some quick observations And then we'll get into our application this morning. Chapter 2, verse 1. During the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. Now, in chapter 1, verse 1, it says that during the month of Kislev. 
Now we're during the month of Nisan. And so what's happened here is four months have passed. Four months have passed since Nehemiah initially prayed. You know what I love about this? We see a man that is God-called and has a mission from the Lord, but he's not making a knee-jerk reaction. Four months have passed since he initially prayed that God give him favor in front of the king. Four months have passed since he's poured out his heart to God. And in wisdom and discernment, he has waited patiently for God to give him the green light to go forward. So during the month of Nisan, on the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was set before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. Nehemiah has one of the most important jobs of his day. One of the most important jobs you could have. He was cupbearer to the king, meaning the king really trusted Nehemiah because Nehemiah's job was to taste test all the food, all the drinks, and all the wine and test it all for poison. If any of the food or drink was poisoned and Nehemiah fell over, that let the king know All right, I ain't eating it, I ain't drinking it. But he also had great trust for for Nehemiah and respect for Nehemiah in order to put Nehemiah in this role that he was in. So Nehemiah takes the wine himself, and then he gives it to the king. Now, notice this here. Nehemiah says, I had never been sad in his presence. This is important that Nehemiah is sharing this with us in his journal. I'm going to share why here in just a moment. So the king says to Nehemiah, why are you sad when you're not even sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Now look at what Nehemiah says. I love his honesty. He says, I was overwhelmed with fear. Why was Nehemiah overwhelmed with fear? Well, it's important for you and I to understand that if you were in front of the king, and especially his cupbearer, it was dangerous to show any kind of fear or displeasure whatsoever in front of the king, or even sorrow. And remember, Nehemiah, he's very sorrowful at this point. If the king was dissatisfied with anyone's facial expressions, emotions, or anything they might show in front of him, if he was dissatisfied whatsoever, he could execute them for anything at any time. So here's Nehemiah. He's sorrowful. It's not okay to be sorrowful in front of the king. Not only is he sorrowful, he's about to ask the king for permission to go back to Jerusalem to work on the city walls. Now, let's continue reading here. Nehemiah says, I was overwhelmed with fear and replied to the king, may the king live forever. What's he doing? He's honoring the king. He's showing honor here. He said, why should I not be sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? A little bit of pause here. And the king replies to Nehemiah and he asks Nehemiah, well, what's your request? In other words, I can tell something's on your heart, something's on your mind. What is your request? Look at Nehemiah's response initially. So I prayed to the God of heavens. He's trembling with fear. And the king says to him, listen, something's on your mind, something's on your heart. What is it? Talk to me here. 
And so Nehemiah prays to the God of heavens, and then he answers the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor with you, send me to Judah and to the city where my ancestors are buried so that I may rebuild it. The king, with the queen seated beside him, asked me, how long is your journey going to take and when will you return? So I gave him a definite time and that pleased the king to send me. I love this transition here. Nehemiah has been filling out the king a little bit, seeing how this is going. He sees the king is willing to have a discussion. The king is engaged a little bit. The king's having some compassion on him. So Nehemiah decides, you know what? I'm going to ask for a little bit more. Knowing he has already talked to the God of the heavens. He knows who has his back. He knows who's at his side. He knows who has gone before him, and that's his Lord. So he says also to the king, hey, listen, if it pleases you, let me also have letters written to the governors of the region west of the Euphrates River so that they will grant me safe passage until I reach Judah. Oh, also, let me have a letter written to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so that he will give me timber to rebuild the gates of the temple's fortress. He's a pretty bold request that he's making here. Because if the king sends the letter to Asaph, then pretty much Asaph says, well, if it's from the king, then we got to give you some timber. So he keeps going here. So that I can rebuild the gates of the temple's fortress, the city wall, and the home where I will live. Don't just give me materials to rebuild the gates in the city. Give me some to also rebuild my own home. He continues saying here, the king granted my requests. Why is that? For the gracious hand of my God was on me. I went to the governors of the region west of the Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. I love this part. The king also provided some things that Nehemiah never even asked for. The king also sent officers of the infantry and cavalry with me. When Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard that someone had come to pursue the prosperity or the goodness of the Israelites, they were greatly displeased. Now, we're going to get into this Sambalat character here in a week or so, and we're going to learn that he really frustrates Nehemiah and makes Nehemiah mad. And when Nehemiah gets mad, he goes before the Lord and says, Lord, I'm angry. And he teaches us how to pray when we're mad. We'll get into that here in a week or so. But today we want to continue to look at basically what Nehemiah has done here is he has prayed, God, I need you. God, I need you. I need your help. We've all had times in our lives where we have gone before the Lord and said, God, I need you, haven't we? If you haven't ever done that, that might be part of the kink in your life, that you need to go before the Lord and just say, God, I need your help. I can't do it on my own own. Let's make some quick observations here from this passage and then application. A few things we see here. Nehemiah admitted his fear, but he didn't allow fear to cripple his faith. Nothing wrong with being fearful at times. Fear is something that God has given us in order to help us make wise decisions. What he doesn't want you and I to do is to be crippled by our fear. Because the Bible tells us that God has not given you and I a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of sound mind. 
So Nehemiah is being very real and being honest in his journal. He says, hey, I was fearful, but we see him continue to move forward with the burden that God had put on his heart. So he's not crippled by his fear. Another observation we see here is that Nehemiah prayed during his conversation with the king. Now, I don't think what happened here, I don't think Nehemiah said, hey, King Artaxerxes, hold on just a moment, let me pray. I believe what happened here is in the moment, Nehemiah starts talking to the Lord in his mind. In the moment, Nehemiah begins to have a conversation with the Lord. He prayed for God's help. Not only did he pray for God's help, but he put the results in God's hands. Oh, don't we struggle with that sometimes. Just trusting God with the results. And then at the end of it, we see that he gave credit to God. Let's begin to make some application. Remember last week, we talked about how there's lots of definitions out there today about prayer, many of them correct, many of them provided by well-respected and known pastors and authors. But the one that we're working off of is the one that I really appreciate, provided by Dr. Charles Stanley. It's really simple. Prayer is talking with God. Isn't that awesome? That the creator of the universe has made a way through his son, Jesus Christ, and by the power of his Holy Spirit living in us, that we can just talk to him and have a conversation with him. And so what we see here, some application that we can make from Nehemiah's journal, is number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. You can talk to God anytime, anywhere, during anything. You can talk to God, your creator, your savior, and your king anytime, anywhere, during anything. Nehemiah 2.4, the king asked me, what is your request? What did he do? So I prayed to the God of heavens. Now, something I love about this passage, Nehemiah says, I was fearful. I was trembling. My knees were shaking. My heart rate was up. There was a lump in my throat is what Nehemiah is saying here. Why? Because he's before the king. He's getting ready to talk to the king. But here's what I love. You and I belong to a king that we don't have to shake when we go before him because we are called his friends. We have been called friends of God. Now, like I said last week, it's vital that we remember who we're talking to. It's vital that we remember whose presence we are coming into, that we adore him and praise him as Nehemiah did. Just like he did here, he didn't just say, I prayed to God. He said, I prayed to the God of heavens. But you and I can come before King Jesus confidently because of the work that he has done on the cross. Prayer is not limited. Nehemiah shows us this. Prayer is not limited to a time. It is not limited to a place. It is not limited to circumstances. We can pray anytime, anywhere, during anything. This is what Paul was talking about when he wrote to the believers at Thessalonica. Look at this passage with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Paul said, pray constantly. Other translations translate that as pray without ceasing. He says, rejoice always, give thanks in everything, 
And notice this part. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It is God's will for you and I to talk to God often. It is God's will for you to have an ongoing conversation with him anytime, anywhere, during anything. It is not limited to time, to place, or to circumstances. I love how Rick Warren describes this. Pastor Rick Warren of Saddleback Church, he says, You will never develop a close relationship with God by just attending church once a week. You will never develop a close relationship with God even by just having a daily quiet time. Now, he's not negating attending church. He's not negating having a daily quiet time. He goes on to say here, friendship with God is built by sharing all of your life experiences with him. Of course, it is important to establish the habit of daily devotional time with God, but God wants more than an appointment in your schedule. He goes on to say he wants to be included in every activity, every conversation, every problem, and even every thought. You can carry on a continuous, open-ended conversation with God throughout your day, talking with him about whatever you are doing or thinking at that moment. The habit of praying without ceasing from 1 Thessalonians 5.17 means conversing with God while shopping, driving, working, or performing any other everyday task. That's what it means to pray without ceasing. See, oftentimes we read that passage, and I think we get overwhelmed by it. We think, I don't have time to kneel all day long and pray. I got kids to feed. I got a job to work. I got money to put in the bank. I got chores to do. No, what this passage means is as you go about your everyday ordinary life, talk to God all throughout it. When you're changing your kids' diapers, talk to God. Lord God, please help me change this diaper. (laughs) When you're trying to clean the kitchen, you're saying, Lord God, I know this is a vicious cycle, but please give me the discipline to get through it one more time. Listen, just like Nehemiah found himself in a very critical and challenging circumstance of life, He took a moment to pause very briefly, and in his mind, he prayed to the God of heavens. Years ago, when Lauren and I were on staff at Oasis Church in Maumelle, we had a team of people that rotated cleaning our facilities because at the time, we we couldn't afford a janitorial service. And I'll never forget, there was a young lady in our church in her 20s that served on one of the teams. And one Sunday at church, I went up to her and I said, hey, I just want to thank you for cleaning yesterday. I really appreciate it. I know that's not fun. She said, you know, it's all about perspective. I said, really, what do you mean? She said, when I clean those toilets in the ladies' bathroom, she said, I am praying that whoever sits on that toilet on Sunday morning, that their life is changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ when they visit our church. Listen, that is praying without ceasing. That is taking everyday, ordinary tasks and bringing them before God in prayer. Second thing Nehemiah shows us in his journal is that you and I can ask God for help anytime, anywhere, about anything. You and I can ask God for help anytime, anywhere, about anything. One of my favorite study Bibles that I use often is the Life Application Study Bible. And there's a commentary section in there about Nehemiah, and it says, 
This is going to be on the screen. With little time to think, Nehemiah immediately prayed. Talking about this conversation with the king. With little time to think, Nehemiah immediately prayed. But it shares with us some references here. Eight times in the book of Nehemiah, we read that he prayed spontaneously. An ordinary man with an extraordinary prayer life. We don't have to wait till we're in church on Sunday to pray. We don't have to wait for the preacher to open up the altars to pray. We don't have to wait until dinner time to pray. We can pray and we should pray at all times, all throughout the day. I'm trying to model to my kids already that we can pray anytime, anywhere about anything. We try to show our daughters and our daughter and our son that, listen, hey, if there's a concern, if there's a frustration, let's pray about it. We want them to see that prayer is not something we say for a time, but that prayer is woven into the fabric of our life. Let me show you just how specific you can pray at times. This is kind of a funny story, but I believe it was the power of prayer at work. Me and Lauren, we had been married for literally just a year, which, by the way, today is our 13-year wedding anniversary. Listen, listen, I'm just going to say I outkicked my coverage with this one, all right? So happy anniversary, babe, and happy Mother's Day. But anyways, we'd been married just a year. We were upgrading apartments. When you first get married, upgrading apartments is a big deal. And so we had been living in an apartment in Conway. We were moving to a brand new apartment in Maumel. We were going to be the first ones to live in this apartment. In fact, we felt confident about even laying on the floor in this apartment because we were the first ones living there. We're getting moved in. We're broke. Pretty much everything we had in savings went to cover the move, which isn't it wild? It doesn't matter whether you're moving 10 miles up the road or 100 miles. Moving is expensive. We're getting all settled in. We get ready to set up our TV up on the entertainment center. And we were going to, after we got the TV set up and all that, we were going to go to Walmart and get some groceries. We're getting it all set up. And me and Lauren don't jive well when it comes to moving things and, and working together. We just don't work well together in that way. We get frustrated. We say things that we shouldn't say. Well, left to me doesn't always mean left to her or right, vice versa. And we somehow get turned around on who's putting the TV where, and it falls over right on its face. It's our only TV. Hey, when you're in your only 20s and married, TV was a big deal back then. I think it's still a big deal today, but back then, like, we needed our TV to play Guitar Hero. And so the TV falls over, we set it back up, and I'm like, oh man, I guarantee you this thing ain't working now. We plug it in, and sure enough, TV doesn't work. And I immediately said to Lauren, I'm like, look, we don't have any money in the bank to get a new TV. We got this new apartment, but no TV, so what do we do? I said to Lauren, I said, let's pray over it. Let's pray over it. We literally put our hands on that TV. This is no joke, y'all. Your pastor believes in prayer. We put our hands on that TV, and we said, God, we're about to go get some groceries. But we pray when we get back, this TV will work. We believed it. We came back, we unloaded the groceries, and we set that TV and plugged it, set it up and plugged it in, and that TV worked. 
Listen, praise God. You can ask God for help anytime, anywhere, about anything. Third thing Nehemiah shows us is you can trust God with the results. We can trust God with the results. The Bible says here that Nehemiah said in verse 5, I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor with you, send me to Judah and to the city where my ancestors are buried so that I might rebuild it. I also said to the king, if it, re- if it pleases you, let me have letters written to the governors of the regions west of the Euphrates River, so that they grant me safe passage until I reach Judah. Oh, and also let me have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's force, so that he will give me timber to rebuild the gates of the temple's fortress, the city wall, and the home where I live. In these three verses, there's two lessons for us to apply in regards to trusting God with the results. I don't want us to miss these. Nehemiah knew that he knew that God was always in charge. He models that for us all throughout his journal. He always knew that God was always in charge, that God was always present, and that God always hears every prayer. He knew this because of the extended time he spent in prayer and the spontaneous time he spent in prayer. See, in Nehemiah chapter 1, he spent days praying before the Lord. In Nehemiah chapter 2, he's praying spontaneously without ceasing in the moment. Because of the depth of his relationship with God that he had cultivated through prayer, he trusted God with the results. I think oftentimes we fail to trust God with the results because of the lack of depth in our relationship with God. And if we want depth in our relationship with God, we have to talk with God. And that talking with God can't happen just on Sundays. That talking with God can't just happen when you're with your home group, with your D group. It can't just happen during your daily devotion. It has to happen without ceasing as you're driving down the road, as you're picking up the kids, as you're heading to the ball fields, as God's giving you strength for your exercise, whatever it may be, you're thanking God, you're talking to God, and you're making your request known to God. There's another lesson here that Nehemiah shows us. God often works through other people to answer our prayers. God worked through King Artaxerxes to provide Nehemiah's needs to begin rebuilding the wall. Oftentimes, you and I, because we are such an independent people as Americans, we fail to ask other people for help. Because we don't want to be a bother, we don't want to impose, or we're afraid that they might think we don't have it all together. Newsflash, you don't have it all together. I don't have it all together. And God oftentimes when we are praying to him, I believe, is trying to lead us to reach out to other people for help. There's an illustration on this topic about a man who had been abandoned at sea. His boat had capsized and he was in just a life raft stranded in the middle of the ocean. And he begins asking God to rescue him. And God sends him a boat. And the captain of the boat stops by the man and says, Hey, 
let us, let us rescue you. Let us take you with us. And the man says to the guy, he says, no, God's going to rescue me. I have asked God to rescue me. Well, the captain moves on. The man keeps praying that God would rescue him. So God sends a ship to provide safe passage and rescue to the man. The captain of the ship says, hey, get on our ship. Let us take you with us. Let us rescue you. And the man says, no, 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 I have prayed to God. He is going to rescue me. Finally, the man goes before the Lord once again and says, God, please rescue me. I'm stranded. And finally, God audibly speaks, and he says to the man, I have sent you two different boats now, and you have been so stubborn that you haven't gotten on either one of them. See, that's our relationship with God sometimes. We're wanting God to work on our behalf. We're wanting God to answer our prayers, but we're failing to talk to the godly people or the folks around us that can provide the resources where he can answer our prayers. God works through other people. Final thing I want you to see here is Nehemiah shows us that we should always give God the credit. Nehemiah 2.8, part B. It says, the king granted my request. Nehemiah could have gotten real cocky here. He could have gotten real confident in himself. But what he does here is he writes in his journal, for the gracious hand of my God was on me. The gracious hand of my God was on me. You know, if you'll pause long enough, you'll see so many different areas of your life where God's gracious hand is upon you. And those are moments to pause and give God the credit and the glory. I want to give you some questions now as we bring our time to a conclusion for you to reflect on, and Mary Ann's going to make her way to the stage. Number one, is there a task God wants you to do, but fear is holding you back? What is it that you've been planning but haven't been prayerful about? See, Nehemiah planned, but he was also prayerful. We are guilty at times of planning but not being prayerful. What is it that you need to bring before God and ask him for his help? And finally, what is it that you need to give God credit for? Maybe credit for your kids. Give them glory for the church he's provided for you, the spouse he's put in your life, for the mom that he has blessed you with. With these questions in mind, what we want to do now for a few moments is we want to open up our altars here, and we want to move and we want to pray, and we want to go before God, and we want to talk to Him just like Nehemiah did. Thanks again for visiting the Collective Church Podcast. We hope you found the message to be practical, inspiring, and biblical. And by the way, if you're interested in learning more about Collective Church, you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram. And if you enjoyed the message, hit the subscribe button. And if you'd be willing to, hit share and help us spread the word about Collective Church.